Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello, and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by Martin Cothran. Martin Cothran is the author of Emoria Press, Traditional Logic, Material Logic, and Classical Rhetoric Programs. He is an instructor of Latin, Logic, Rhetoric, and Classical Studies at Highlands Latin School. Martin holds a BA in Philosophy and Economics from the University of California at Santa Barbara and an MA in Christian Apologetics from the Simon Greenleaf School. He currently serves as Senior Policy Analyst with the Family Foundation of Kentucky. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Angered is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. For more information on CLT's mission and details about upcoming test dates, head to www.cltexam.com slash get started. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome back to the Anchor Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Today, we have the one and only legendary Martin Cothran. If you've been around the classical renewal movement uh, at all over the past 20 years, you certainly know the name Martin Cothran. I view Martin, uh, along with, with uh, great people like Leslie Muller and Andrew Kern and Chris Perrin, uh, as really some of the, the folks who have spearheaded this movement now for 20 plus years. Uh, Martin is one of the co-founders uh, of Memoria Press and continues to be uh, the brains behind uh, some of their best uh, products and services. Martin, thanks so much for being with us. Good to be here. So Martin, you've seen uh, the classical renewal movement blow up over the past uh two or three decades. Uh, we, we've talked a lot offline. We've had some some great memories of sitting around uh, swimming pools with you and having a late night pipe and talking about classical education. Uh, let's start at the beginning. How did you kind of discover this world? What was your education like growing up? Well, uh, growing up, I had, you know, I went to a good school, was not a great student, uh, went to college, um, became a philosophy major, uh, of all things. Um, my dad always asked me, so what are you going to do with that? Um, so I took another degree in economics at the same time, which was to satisfy him. But uh, my education really started when I was standing in the line, a bank line in Isla Vista, California. Uh, I went to University of California, Santa Barbara. And I was reading my National Review magazine. And this was in like 80, 1980. And I read the, the umpteenth Chesterton quote, and I still remember the quote. It, okay. it was, an open mind is like an open mouth. It's meant to close on something solid. Mm, love and that. So I thought, okay, this is it. So after I did my bank business, I walked over to the, uh, to the UCSB library, uh, looked in the card catalog for those uh, who remember those, and looked up the Chesterton books, and they were on the fourth floor. So I go up to the fourth floor. I, I walk in and there are just shelves and shelves of the old cloth-bound Chesterton books, which, of course, nobody read anymore. And I just scanned through and I saw heretics. And I pulled out <laughs> and I opened yeah. up, I read a paragraph, and I thought, this is the guy I've always wanted to read. And from then on, 
It was reading Chesterton and following the links. Uh, so I've got to ask you because, you know, we always end the Anchor podcast talking about books and the book that's been most formative on you. For me, it's, it's always been orthodoxy. I reread it almost every year. I like heretics, but in no way was it as impactful on me as as orthodoxy. Uh, heretics comes first. Orthodoxy comes second. As people say, OK, well, what what is your solution? Um, so out of the two, uh, if you can only recommend one to someone, which, which one is it going to be? Well, of course, it's going to be orthodoxy. And in fact, I'm teaching a class on orthodoxy at Memorial College uh, this summer, starting June 6th. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, that's I've probably read orthodoxy 20 times. Uh, it's my favorite book. I think it's the 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 greatest book by the greatest thinker of the 20th century. Yes. Amen. Uh, yeah. So Chesterton, Chesterton is really formative for me. Um, I, I mean, I went on, I got a, a uh, I got a, a degree in economics and philosophy um, and uh, later on an, uh, a, a master's degree in Christian apologetics under John Wart Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Um, but but really, it's been Chesterton who's been my education and and C.S. Lewis and all those all those great thinkers. And, and those are the thinkers that really control uh, what we think and do at Memorial College. So, um, you know, we we. Among all the other great books, we always make sure to include those two. Uh, and then, Martin, uh, talk to, tell me about the story of founding, co-founding uh, Memoria Press. What year was this? What was the context? Uh, I mean, that, now it's a, I, I've seen the warehouse. I mean, this is a a, a huge, huge player uh, in the whole classical renewal movement. But h- how did this begin? Well, um, I had been involved in education policy. I was working for a public policy, state level public policy organization, and we had become involved in uh, Kentucky had had passed the, the, the most sweeping education reform bill ever by any state. And it was, you know, it was the fifth round. I, I later found out doing some research on education history. It was the fifth round of this progressivist pragmatist thing, which we do literally every 25 years. This was this <laughs> yeah. was the outcomes-based, they called it outcomes-based education in the late 80s, early 90s. And so I had gotten very involved in that. In fact, I became the chief spokesperson in a parental rebellion mm-hmm. against this in the, early, in the early 90s. And I mean, literally, it was a knockdown, drag out public fight. I mean, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd probably interview, you know, two dozen times a week for about three or four years on this. And I was I was a messaging guy, um, legislative strategy, uh, uh, you know, communication and, and 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 messaging. And we were running circles around them, even though they had all this money and backing of the entire establishment. We actually turned the establishment itself against the reforms uh, behind the scenes. I got started getting together all the professional alphabet soup groups, you know, the Kentucky Association of School Administrators, the school and super intendants, mm-hmm. the, the and, and 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 most importantly, the the lady who ran the organization that was that was responsible to enforce the reforms. She came over to our side, and wow. we won. Actually, what were these reforms that that you? understood as, as truly toxic and, and destructive. Well, okay, you know, every reform since the 1920s has two aspects to it. Um, one is vocationalism. You know, school is now about getting a job rather than developing a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also 
the, the whole progressivist impulse uh, that that schools are there to reform society in some way that comes from Dewey. Um, and that's the first round. It's it's that progressivist uh, political reform, social reform emphasis that is in the reforms of the 1920s in this country. Mm-hmm. In in when when the progressive movement comes back again for another round of reforms in the mid 40s and early 50s, it's now more vocationalist. And ever since then, it's been those two impulses. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it it's it's uh, developing the child. You know this this psychological and joined with that social reform goal and job skills. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so our, our program was filled with that stuff. And it wasn't about academics anymore. And we wanted to return to academics. And, you know, so I, I, they had their state standards, which are all this progressive yeah. stuff. So I wrote a set of standards based on the Cornellage uh, Foundation material, the James okay. Matthews program from Bill Bennett. We released it. And they ran it side by side in both the state's largest newspapers, and everyone mm-hmm. liked ours better. Uh, you know, just just hold up a higher standard. And, yeah, uh, I'm seeing where this is going. And so, as you were actively saying, not this, mm-hmm. you were also compelled to say this instead. And, yeah. 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 Meanwhile, Cheryl Lowe was talking in my ear. Okay. And uh, she was starting a school. She was wanted to start a publishing company. She had been involved in that um, effort uh, opposing our, our school reforms here. And uh, and after pretty much we had well, it was actually during the time we had we kind of won. She uh, she asked me to come on board and help help her to start uh, those two things: the school mm-hmm. and, and a publishing company. She had we had one book. It was Latina Christiana. Okay. It, it was selling in the thousands word of mouth and she was binding them in her garage. Unbelievable. And so, we, so we she said, OK, I want you to write the logic. Well, what, what year was this? What year was this? This was ninety eight. This was. Okay. And so uh, yeah, I came on board in ninety eight and um, she said, I want you to do the logic program because my background is in philosophy. I want you to do the rhetoric program. So our first set of programs, we uh, uh, were the the Latina Christiana program, my traditional logic and the classical rhetoric program. So, Martin, tell me this. It seems like not even coordinated at all, but that you had the Searcy Institute, SCL, Memoria Press, Classical Academic Press, um, the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education within a few years of each other, but not at all coordinated launched what what was going on in the late 90s early 2000s where, where all of these things came into existence at, at about the same time well in the early 90s of course uh um the book by douglas wilson came out which resurrected that old speech from dorothy sayers uh, mm. discovering the lost tools of learning where she articulates this these stages of learning and even though that's really not connected with classical education it, it's it's useful but uh, that's really not what Dorothy Sayers was talking about. But these stages of learning things became identified with the movement. And there's still, uh, you know, a lot of people really ab- abide by that, uh, the, mm-hmm. that developmental model. Um, we came out and, and we that's what got everybody's attention. But then we came out, uh, you know, I think I think we were we were the original one. But, yeah, you're right. In a matter of a few years, but we were articulating classical education as the idea of passing on uh, Western Christian civilization through 
reading, to, to preparing children to read the great books. I, I believe uh, you were the brainchild of. I love I love slogans and names and brands. I, mean, I love the stories behind them. But Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one one child at a time. Is that right? One student at a time. One student at a time. That's your brainchild. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, again, I was a messaging guy, so yeah. we I like cook up slogans and sound bites, and that's that's what I used to do. So uh, yeah, that that has been uh, you know and and. There's a lot of people who thought that would be controversial because, you know, Western civilization is being hated on right now by a lot of people. But yeah. that has worked so well for us because when pe people want to see that contrast, hmm. um, they, they, they want to be in favor of good things. And, and so, um, so, so that, yeah, that, that, that slogan uh, has, has very much. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Love it. Fantastic. So then 98 Latina Christiana uh, launches the very first book. Uh, and then where is Memoria Press today? And then also tell us about launching Memoria College. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, today we have a whole actual curriculum from K through 10th grade now. And then uh, we're, we're trying to complete that whole uh, curriculum sequence. Um, yeah, we, we started adding after the first round of sort of trivium products, you know, language arts, uh, the language liberal art, language based liberal arts. We started expanding into other areas, uh, you know, and we've, we've got a literature program that, you know, where we take the best of the best, great classic children's literature. And we really focus in on a, on a close study of, uh, of some handpicked children's classics. I think children's, I've, I've always said, I, I think, I think classic children's literature is going to save the world. Mm. Like we do anything. Wow. We do one, That's so beautiful. You know, it is, it's so true. Um, you, you know what's, what's kind of blown my mind is is you know I, I feel like I discovered kind of the classical renewal movement 2014 2015. So my my older kids we didn't read I, I wasn't reading Aesop's Fables with them I wasn't reading Grimm's Fairy Tales with them, but I, I made that transition when my my two middle boys uh, were you know three and four you know five and six around that time frame, and they knew the difference in the quality. They didn't want to read the new stuff anymore. It was amazing. You know? oh, yeah, the good drives out the bad is, is really the central principle there. And, and I, you know, I, we, we, we stress the Western classics, you know, Homer and Virgil and all that stuff. But I think classic children's literature is equally important to that. Mm. And we've really been, I've I've really intentionalized that thought over the, over the last two, three years. How important this stuff is and of course there's that great insight by john senior uh university of kansas many years ago uh, who wrote the book um the death of christian culture where he articulates this that that in order to read the hundred great books you have to be able to read the thousand good books hmm. and it, it, that's your preparation i mean it, it's important to read uh charlotte's web and um, the Moffats and, and Robinson, well, Robinson Crusoe, yeah, Robinson Crusoe, even, even though it's not children's book, uh, uh, Louis Lamour Western novels, uh, just Raphael Sabatini adventure. Not, it's, it's important to read those mm. in preparation for reading the classics. Um, and, and so I think that's a great insight by John Sr. And, and we, we really believe in it. Martin, I wonder if you would agree with this, but I, in some ways I feel like that, the most powerful indictment against kind of mainstream uh, 
public government schooling right now is actually going to the book fair when they have it. Uh, it is in some ways so sad. I mean, there's the one, the, the one that we have locally, no, no classics uh, at all, nothing of meaning or substance. Um, I, th- this great tradition that was passed on generation after generation after generation, that that passing on stopped, and that that's what you're working to recover. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I haven't been to a public school conference, so I don't know what that's like. I, I guess I'm just glad they have books at all. Yeah, don't go. Don't go. Uh, but yeah. Well, I mean, the last. I mean, I went to a to a. This has been actually a number of years ago now. Uh, a conference of a private school um, organization, not classical, just private school, and we were the only ones with books there. Uh, so even in that realm. Um, even in the Christian schools movement, it, it's a, it's a problem. Um, although I'm, I think that's now changing because I think the, the, you know, I think a lot of schools are, are looking, a lot of schools who aren't classical schools are now looking at the classical schools movement for inspiration because we're the ones who are growing. We're the ones who are thriving. Um, we're the ones who are really educating children. And I think, I think people are starting to see that. Mark, we've uh, at CLT as a company, we have played uh, your video for the whole company. Uh, we every Monday we do Mission Monday at CLT. Uh, you have a great definition for what is classical education. Um, the video that we played as a company is is four or five minutes long. If if somebody asks you that in in, in the grocery store, you got you know, 30 seconds to give them an answer. They've never heard of this before. They have some vague idea that it's something distinct from mainstream public education. How, how would you define it? What even is this? What is classical education? Well, uh, most basically, you know, I try, I try to, I try to, I've been trying to, to distill down my definition of education down. I got it down to three words uh, uh, last year on the, on the speaking circuit. It was the arts and the sciences. That's a two words, really. Uh, and now I've distilled it down to one word, and it is education. I mean, what, what I think we don't realize ourselves is that classical education is what education was. Nobody thought it was anything different until about the turn of the 20th century, you know, when people started questioning, openly questioning that definition. But, you know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of elevator speeches you can have. I mean, to me, it's, you know, I love Andrew Kern's, um, formulation uh, that 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 classical education is the inculcation of wisdom and virtue through dwelling on the good, the true and the beautiful. That is beautiful. That's pretty clear level. Right. (laughs) So you have to, you know, and and, and furthermore, that's on an individual level, on a on a cultural Mm. level. The purpose of classical education is to pass on the culture of the Christian West. That is what it is about. and so, uh, you know, and then on the on the curricular level, it's it's the great books and the liberal arts. It's it's the sciences, the bodies of knowledge, uh, the theological sciences, the the natural sciences and uh, and the human sciences, what we call the humanities, literature, uh, history and philosophy. Uh, and then on the other side, the arts, uh, the skills that you need to know. Linguistic skills of the classical trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and the mathematical skills, arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and music. Uh, those are the two components of any education, really, are, are the bodies of knowledge you're studying and the skills that you're trying to inculcate. 
Martin, tell us more about uh, Memoria College. Tell us about this project. Okay. Well, we just got this inspiration uh, uh, to to have a, ma- a a master's degree program. There's, uh, there's a lot of people in the classical education movement who want to move further. And a lot of them want to go back to the total basics, to the texts themselves, uh, sort of like what St. John's does. And um, and so we decided we're going to start a master's program. We uh, I, I we went out looking for instructors, which I thought was going to be hard. Well, no, it's not hard at all because you have all these academics out there working at these colleges where learning is not really valued. So they're glad to have somebody ask them to do the real thing. So we've got people like Tracy Lee Simmons and Vegan Garoyan, um, some people that 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 names that people don't know about yet who are worth knowing. Dan Scheffler, who's who's uh, uh, actually full time with us uh, from the University of Kentucky. Frank Russell, the classicist from Transylvania University. Yeah. Uh, we've just got some great people. And so we read the great books, we selections out of the great books and we discuss them. And that's really what education should ultimately be. And so we're, we're growing. Um, we're adding courses. Um, and we're, you know, cooking up new things, uh, new twists on these too. It's fantastic. Uh, and what, what are some of the new initiatives coming out of Memorial Press that, uh, families can expect in the next uh, couple of years? What are, what are the goals that you're having? And where do you see some of the needs right now within the classical reading movement? Well, we're just really trying to consolidate what we've got uh, into a, a complete K through 12 program. Uh, that's that's one of our objectives. And we're just we're going back over our literature programs. You know, we, we put out our literature programs about 10, 10, 12 years ago. And we're going back through them just to make sure, you know, from the perspective of, of those of us who are working in the college in particular, going back and looking how we're teaching this at, in the middle school, how we're teaching this in the high school and making sure we're doing it right. Because this whole process has been a process of re-education for everybody in the movement. A lot of, most of us are not, you know, classicists. We, we, we're not, we're not deeply educated in, in the great books. We're in the process of getting there. And so we constantly have to go back and reassess what we're doing in light of the reading we've done over the last five years. Martin, I'm wondering if, uh, if you'd have thoughts on this question. Um, I have been really struck by just the disconnect uh, at classics departments, at especially especially elite universities, with the classical renewal movement. Um, and, and in some ways, it's an intellectual revival that's happening, not not just outside of the university, but the university seems to not even be aware that it's happening in some ways. Um, is that is that kind of unprecedented uh, that you have this? intellectual revival, this recovery effort going on, but it's not its not being led necessarily by the universities and in many ways happening outside of it at a grassroots level. Um, is that in the, kind of the history of the West, the history of the development of, of thought unprecedented? Well, you know, Who Killed Homer, uh, the great book by Victor Davis Hanson, uh, where he, he tells you why we're in the situation we are and why we're not reading great books anymore is because the experts, the specialists have gotten a hold of them. And they write special articles that only their fellow classicists can read. And this is what's been done to the great books. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is why, you know, I mean, Mortimer Adler wasn't perfect, but, but what he did get was that this material is for everybody. It's Mm -hmm. for everybody who's a philosopher and a citizen, which is basically everybody Mm -hmm. because that's what all human beings are. And so, 
Um, so I think that that you know you have what's going on in in the universities, you know, in the ivory towers where they're specializing in you know lesbian uh, this and that. I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous, really. What what the 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 extent of the specialism there? We're not specialists. Mm. We want to educate generalists, mm. and and so the people in the classics department. I've I've gotten an ear chewed off here or there from those people because they don't like that. They think that's somehow betraying the movement when in fact what they've been doing for the past hundred years wow. is really betraying the movement. I mean, you go back and you look in. Like I just discovered this in JSTOR, you know, mm. when I when I discovered JSTOR a number of years ago, and I got on there, and I, what I've noticed over over the years in doing research for different things is that if if you if you go back before nineteen about nineteen eighty, it's, it's that late actually, what you find is that the articles are readable, mm. that they're written for an intelligent public. After nineteen eighty, that's gone. They're not the 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 people in the academy are not writing. For an intelligent public anymore. All those great writers who were intellectuals who wrote, uh, William Barrett, who was on Partisan Review and wrote for the Atlantic uh, Monthly, uh, who, who did all those great articles on literature and philosophy. Um, you know, a lot of the literary critics, Alfred Kazin, um, some of these people, they were writing for an intelligent public. Mm. And that is gone. If you go into the university now, they just swallows you up and 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 spits you out as a specialist, and that's not good. Martin, you have a special relationship with uh, Kentucky native Wendell Berry, uh, author. Uh, I think, like so many others, discovered him in uh, in in college and became a big fan. And we got to hear him speak a few years ago at one of the the Circe events where you were one of the keynote speakers. Um, tell us a little bit about that relationship and what what you think Wendell Berry means for uh, the movement. Uh, and just uh, American literature at large. Well, uh, Wendell uh, was uh, our general manager, Tanya, was his personal secretary for many years. Um, he's one of the people who runs Memorial Press. Uh, and now her husband, Dave, is, is doing it because she works here. But uh, so that's how we kind of knew him. And then he came and his grandchildren went to our school. And so every time one of his grandchildren was a senior, he would come back and teach. So he's taught. A number of courses, and one of the things he, uh, we were we had a Dante class. I was teaching Dante, and we, when we teach Dante, we take a year. And we teach mm-hmm. Dante, and so uh, we 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 worked it out so that where he could come in the first ten weeks of of my Dante course, and he could teach two Shakespeare plays, and so uh, he came in, and uh, and I, I I of course I was a teacher, so I got to sit in, and I just got to know him, and you know he came back several times and, and taught courses there. And uh, so he he's just, you know, he, he loved what we did. He loved this mm-hmm. new emphasis on on the classics. I mean, you can imagine why. I mean, I was just talking about these people who become specialists and don't speak to the normal person anymore. And of course, Barry is an is the ideal person in that regard in terms of speaking to the average person, mm-hmm. you know, articulating his ideas through fiction and through poetry and through novels. Uh, it's 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 really great stuff. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've, we've had a relationship with him for a while. He, he is getting older and I, I called him the other day and was going to invite him to speak at our memorial press conference just to read a short story or poetry or something. And, you know, he's, he's 86 years old and he just didn't trust himself to come down here. And so he said, I think the charitable thing to do is just. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
so we, we, we valued his, his, um, involvement in this, uh, and his, his willingness to come speak to, as he calls them, the Searcy's, uh, <laughs> hmm. uh, at the Searcy conference and other, uh, I guess that's the only one. Spoke. But yeah, he's come a couple times to Searcy and spoken to classical educators. And I think he's really appreciated the response he's gotten. Mm-hmm. A, a big theme in Wendell Berry is, is, uh, and I think most people don't know that they have this disconnect, um, with their food, with, land mm-hmm. um until you read him and then you 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 want you want that 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 connection to happen again um is that is that where wendell berry is is his most poignant in waking people up to to those kind of longings uh where, where do you see his contribution in that sense well i think he's 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 one of the most human writers you will ever read mm. uh no matter what you're reading he's emphasizing what it is to be a a fulfilled human being in this world. Mm-hmm. And that takes the form of, you know, being closer to the land and having a, a human economy that, that is not so abstracted and centralized and industrialized that it, mm-hmm. it's not even good for you anymore. Um, and just community. I mean, a lot of his books are about community. And and he is what I would call an essentialist. You know, he's always referring to things. He'll say Port William, the the, the fictional town mm-hmm. on which his fiction is centered. Port William in itself, uh, Burley Coulter in himself. He uses reflexive pronoun mm-hmm. to and the river itself. He believes in things. Mm-hmm. He believes in reality in a way that that many of our contemporary thinkers don't anymore so it's just it's you know uh if you if you had a title for all of wendell berry's work i'd say how to become a human being mm-hmm. uh, martin final question for you we actually started the podcast so i think you're going to say orthodox here in a minute um before we get to that i i am wondering if the the classical renewal movement uh is getting close to, to kind of a tipping point um, does the average American at this point know that there is this thing happening, that there is this movement going on? Uh, if not, are, are we close to that? Do you see it coming in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think we have flown below the radar. Uh, and, and, you know, while private schools, you know, particularly Christian schools are, are, are declining in number. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been hard for private religious schools. Uh, classical religious schools are thriving. They're growing. They're being founded all the time yeah. with them. And then in even, um, even in more secular environments, uh, classical education is thriving. So I think there's going to come a time of reckoning and we're going to have to explain ourselves to the wider world. And I think mm-hmm. we need to be prepared to do that, uh, and be able to defend what it is that, that, that we defend, which is Western civilization. Cause I think that's what's at stake here. That's great. All right. Well, let's uh, let's do this thing. Let's talk some orthodoxies. I'm thinking you're going to say that we have the same the same book uh, for this final question of the Anchor Podcast, the book that's been most formative for you. Would it be orthodoxy or is there something else that jumps out? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think orthodoxy is the central book. Um, now, I would I would also see you know, there there are there is there's a constellation of other writers out there. People like I, I was I've just been reading Joseph Epstein. Uh, his new book, Gallimaufry, which is on the mm-hmm. Parnassus Prize sh- shortlist uh, for this summer. Um, I think Epstein is a model of who we should strive to be. He, he is, he's a, he's a, he's a writer, but he's, he's, you know, 
uh, great essay if you get a chance to read it called The Bookish Life. This, this is what we should aspire to be. So I love Chester and Orthodox is at the center of everything, but there's these other writers like, you know, Russell Kirk and Joseph Epstein and Tracy Lee Simmons, uh, who we're publishing a, a, a new book from uh, this fall uh, from, from the Memorial College Press um, on, on his, his essays and book reviews over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he very much reminds me of Epstein in, in, in this regard. He's, he's able to speak. He's a literary journalist. And he speaks to people, uh, you know, an intelligent public. Um, these are the models we need to follow. Um, well, one of the things that, that strikes me time and time again in orthodoxy is that Chesterton could have written it yesterday. Uh, you know, I mean, he's he's such a keen observer of what seems like the moment that we're living in. But this is, I believe, 1906. Um, have things that has a cultural ethos fundamentally changed uh, since beginning of the 20th century in that time? Or? Yeah, well, you're, I think we're thinking that it's so relevant now because America has is now where England was during the Edwardian era when he was writing. Hmm. You know, they had been secularized in the 19th century with, the, you know, the treason of the intellectuals where they, you know, all abandoned the faith um, while it was being accepted by the lower and middle classes. Hmm. And um, and he's he's coming back and he's striking back at the intellectuals um, and defending Christianity. Uh, you know, that that great story where he's at a dinner and there's this man next to him and he's, you know, an industrial person. He says, now all that stuff about Christianity and stuff that that you talk about in, in the public, that you don't really believe that, do you? And he said, and I explained to him that I did believe it. And he said, I think he looked upon me for the rest of the evening as a fabulous griffin. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, he was a he was something very different who came out of nowhere, really, and was articulating these eternal truths. And now we're in the same situation. Our intellectuals yeah. abandoned us. Um, we are mm-hmm. having to fight a cultural fight to retain our civilization, which is what Chesterton is doing. And, I, you know, I hope we can do it even a fraction as well as he did. That's great. Uh, Martin, uh, tremendous gratitude, uh, not just from myself, but I think everyone at CLT, you've been a supporter uh, since almost the very beginning. Uh, uh, what we've been doing in our efforts to challenge uh, the standardized testing establishment, the college board, mm-hmm. uh, ACT, you've been uh, on our academic board for, I think, five years now. Um, and truly, I mean, I think everything that we've been able to do uh, is because of the work that you've been doing since the early 90s uh, and so many others. Uh, and so grateful. Uh, I don't know that there would be a classical renewal movement uh, as we know it, apart from uh, leaders like like yourself and Andrew Kern and Chris Perrin and and, and others. So very grateful uh, to you. And uh, thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you. I appreciate your work, Jeremy. It's, it's, it's essential. Good Have a great day. Uh, all right. God bless. See you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.